You are listening to an audio sermon of First Baptist Church of Arlington, Washington. Our mission is to know Jesus and make Him known. Thank you for joining us. Here is today's message. Many of you will know where this message this morning is going to be coming from, from its title, and that is the book of Esther. Esther had become the replacement queen and wife for King Ahasuerus of Persia after he had dethroned Vashti. Ahasuerus' prime minister was an Amalekite named Haman. Haman loved his position of power as well as having the people do homage to him. But there was one man who refused to bow and render homage to him, and that man was Mordecai, who was Esther's cousin, who had raised her after her parents had died. Of course, Haman knew nothing of this. What he did know was this, that Mordecai was a Jew, and the Jews under King Saul had nearly, exter- had nearly exterminated the Amalekites. Haman hated Mordecai both because he was a Jew and because he refused to bow and do homage to him. The biblical text reads, When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. So, he devised a plot to exterminate all the Jews throughout the Persian Empire. Being prime minister, he went in before King Ahasuerus and coaxed him into making and signing such a decree into law. Now Esther had no idea of what Haman had done, but her cousin Mordecai, he knew. When Esther learned from Mordecai about Haman's plot, she was horrified. The biblical text reads then, Mordecai told them to respond to Esther, Do not imagine that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all of the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And then these words, And who knows whether you have attained royalty for such a time as this? And who knows whether you have attained royalty for such a time as this? Last Sunday, Pastor Stephen brought a message from Isaiah 46 entitled, God's Good Pleasure. He shared with us three decisions every Christian must make in light of world upheaval. First of all, we must remember, and he talked about we must remember who God is, and we must remember what God has done in the past. Secondly, he said we need to relax. That's pretty good if you can do that. In the Lord you can. He said, relax because you know that your God is sovereign. He controls everything. And then thirdly, we must return. If we've wandered away from the Lord, or maybe we don't even belong to the Lord, then we need to return. We need to get back in fellowship. We need to embrace Him as our Lord and Savior if that has not happened. Pastor Steve and I did not share notes with each other nor did we even visit with each other about the subject matter that we are going to speak about, even though he knew he would speak on the 27th of me today. I think, though, you're going to find that our messages do build upon each other. So please keep in mind those three major decisions you must make in light of our world upheaval. Remember, relax, and return as I speak to you on the subject I've entitled, 
for such a time as this. I do acknowledge to you that this message is quite different than most messages that I would deliver from this pulpit, so you bear with me if you would, please. A lot of it I'm going to have to read word for word. That title, though, should cause you to give serious thought to what's right now going on in our nation and in our world for such a time as this. During our last church's quarterly business meeting, when I shared with you, I expressed my great concern about what was going on in our presidential elections and why we must give ourselves individually as well as a church to serious, diligent praying. Before I can get into the heartbeat of my message, though, I need to paint a picture for you, and I need to say at the very outset, I do not intend to be politically correct. You need to know that. Let me also say, when it comes to voting for the highest office in our nation, I am primarily a one-issue voter. Does the candidate stand up for those precious unborn babies who are created in the image of God? This rebellious nation has worshipped long enough at the sacrificial altar of Moloch, where we have offered up over 60 million of these precious unborn. It's no wonder that we are seeing today God remove his hand of blessing from off this nation. America right now is at the turning point. It's at the tipping point of no return. The destruction of our republic, the loss of our democracy and freedom are right now on the line. You need to know that. Weigh that out carefully. How did we get here, though? How did we get to this point as a nation? Though much could be said in answering that all-important question, let me share some excerpts from the video entitled Hidden Agenda. And I'm quoting now. Tragic events through history have been guided behind closed doors by unforeseen forces with hidden agenda to manipulate and shape the way we think. In revolutionary literature, the tactic is known as pressure from above and below. Deliberately create problems and then offer only those solutions that result in the expansion of government. Create conditions so frightful at home and abroad that the abandonment of personal liberties and natural sovereignty will appear as a reasonable price for return to domestic tranquility and world peace. Continuing on with a quote, if those who seek world domination can stimulate leftist mobs into violent confrontation with local law enforcement and also provide exhaustive news coverage so that the entire nation can see and tremble, then the peaceful and freedom-loving majority can be programmed to accept a vast expansion of government powers. End of quote. By the way, you obviously know there's far more behind the Black Lives Matter movement than just seeking fairness and justice and equality for African Americans throughout our nation as well as around the world. We've been seeing this masterminded chaos and destruction in Seattle, Portland, and in the Twin Cities, as well as many other cities around our nation, have we not? Former communist Jerry Kirk writes, the idea is to cast... The idea is to create a situation where the people are so frightened of the violence all around them that they will throw their hands up in the air and demand federal government do something. 
He continues, the communists, black militants, and revolutionaries will never succeed in overthrowing the government of the United States. But, unless they are stopped, they will scare the American people into accepting socialism from Washington and status ruled by the invaders of the establishment. This is what it really is all about. End of quote. In 1967, Soviet Premier Brezhnev said, Marxist-Leninists have always understood that socialism cannot be implanted in, by one country into another by military force, that it is the product of the internal development of a given society. End of quote. For such a time as this, and now we find ourselves, dear ones, right at the door. And we've seen that strategy at work and come to a head during this year of 2000, 2020. This is the strategy by which a tiny minority can capture uh, control of an existing government. The success of this strategy has been largely the result of two factors working together. One is the mobilization of the masses. In other words, demonstrations, general strikes, insurrections. The other is the paralysis of the target government, that is, the inability to fight back effectively. In other words, mobilization of the masses and paralysis of the government. You know we are right at the door when a group of people can steal the election of the most powerful position and person in America and the world. Right at the door, folks. If this great theft is allowed to stand, you understand life as you and I know it is going to radically change. And that means for the church as well. For just a few moment, minutes, bear with me as I attempt to paint for you a picture of this great theft and the attempt to seal the election of the President of the United States. Who's behind it? Let's start there. Who's behind it? First and foremost, it's the prince of the ruler of this world called Satan, the devil. After all, did he not say to the Lord Jesus Christ when he tempted him out there in that desert, showing him in a moment of time all the kingdoms of the world? He said, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. You notice Jesus didn't challenge that statement by Satan. Indeed, this world is presently under the control of Satan, and he does give it his power to certain ones, but, but only as God allows him to do so. And we'll see the significance and importance of that statement a little bit later on. And what about this worldwide pandemic, this plague called COVID-19? Whether or not China deliberately or accidentally released this virus, God did allow it. All right? God allowed it. And one would have to be blind not to have seen how those on the extreme left have used the outbreak of this pandemic in the efforts to remove Mr. Trump from office and also take away your freedoms. You're wearing masks today. Businesses shut down because of it. And so on and so forth. And there's no question but what this has brought our nation and the nations around the world to their knees. We may argue whether or not the political leaders on both the state and the federal level have done the best in handling this virus, but it has dramatically changed our nation and our lives. 
What's worthy of noting is that this is just the preliminary picture, though, of what things are going to be like during those coming seven years of tribulation. Let me share with you Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. You need not turn there, but listen as I share with you. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come! I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth. Think of that, a fourth of the whole world. To kill with sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. You notice that? With pestilence. Something we are presently experiencing worldwide today. It was Rahm Emanuel, appointed by former President Obama, as well as former mayor of Chicago, who said, you never let a serious crisis go to waste. (laughs) And believe me when I tell you there is a very powerful group of people under Satan's control who have and who are using this crisis to promote and advance their agenda. You need to understand, we no longer have a free press. I don't know how many of you watch the news at all, where you get your news. We no longer have a free press. The major news outlets, along with big tech and the entertainment industry, are primarily leftist propaganda machines. Get that? I'm glad for such news outlets as One American News and Newsmax. And by the way, I would encourage you to write this in your notes, if nothing else, write down this Geller report, G-E-L-L-E-R report, Geller report. It's free. You get it in your email, it comes out every day, and you'll get a, head, a, a snippet of the major things going on in the world. Let's consider for a moment the mounting evidence that the radical left has pulled out all the stops in their effort to steal this presidential election. Why is this so important? Because it's changing in America and the world, that's why. It's going to dramatically affect your and my life. And I'm going to only share with you a tiny part of the evidence. I watched and listened to the president's legal team headed up by Rudy Giuliani as they presented to the different state legislators legislators in those six uh, contested states Testimony after testimony after testimony under oath of massive voting fraud. And yet you hear nothing of this from the main media. Not a thing. They keep on trying to brainwash the masses by emphatically stating there is no evidence of any voter fraud. Yet, in Georgia, we have the video of a mother and her daughter after all the voter counters, and especially the Republican watchers were removed late at night, who were caught pulling box after box of ballots from strong Democrat counties out from under the counter and running them through the county machine not once but at least three different times. It's on video. Now it's been confirmed in Pennsylvania that they have counted over 205,000 illegal ballots. In one county, it's been documented that over 700% of the people voted. That's more than come to church. You can laugh at that. Listen, we only need to look in our backyard for an example of this liberal news media propaganda machine. Here's an excerpt from this past Thursday's Herald newspaper, despite all the mounting evidence that massive fraud has taken place. And I quote, Senator Joseph Hawley, 
Republican from Missouri said Wednesday he will raise objections next week when Congress meets to affirm President-elect Joe Biden's victory in the election, forcing House and Senate votes that are likely to be to, uh, vote that are likely to delay, but in no way alter the final certification of Biden's win. It goes on. President Donald Trump has, without evidence now, without evidence, claimed there was widespread fraud in the election. He has pushed Republican senators to pursue his unfounded charges, even though the Electoral College this month cemented Biden's victory. End of quote. Yesterday, I actually forced myself to read Sid Schwab's editorial in the Everett Herald entitled, Einstein Didn't Define It, But Trump's Acts Invite Insanity. Interesting. Mr. Schwab either is deliberately deceived and choosing to deliberately lie, or he is an ostrich who has stuck his head deep into the sand. Listen to this from yesterday's Jell-O report. On Wednesday afternoon, the Georgia Senate Judiciary voted to have Fulton County's ballots inspected. What happened next? Rented Enterprise moving vans pulled up to the warehouse and began loading up box after box after box of ballots, and then a shredding company was engaged. They shredded everything, not just a normal shredding either. They did not shred into long strips or even tiny confetti. They did military-grade shredding down to tiny spitballs. Trust me, he says, there's a video of Enterprise moving vans pulling up at 10 o'clock at night after the Senate subcommittee voted to investigate the stuff and they got loaded up, end of quote. But you won't hear a whisper of this from the large liberal media news propaganda machines about all the hardcore evidence that has and is coming to light that proved this election was brazenly stolen. Have you heard of Jesse Morgan? Jesse Morgan... His sworn affidavit, Mr. Morgan is an employee of Road 10 Express, a contracted company that hauls mail for the U.S. Postal Service. He drives a tractor trailer. He discovered he was hauling 24 bins of ballots already filled out from New York across interstate lines into Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. When he arrived with his load in Harrisburg, he requested those who received the ballots that they give him his usual slip that proved that he had made the delivery, and that's necessary, of course, for him to get his paycheck, and they refused to give him the required slip. When he picked up his load, he could see that the outside ballot envelopes had already been hand-signed. I just learned this past week that in Michigan, the Democrats running that state are seeking to get Giuliani's legal team disbarred for bringing evidence that there had been massive fraud in their state's voting. This tells you, dear ones, what kind of war that we are in for the preservation and democracy and freedoms that we have right now. These people don't care about the truth. They just want their man and their machine in power. We know of at least four multi-billionaires who have exerted their influence in this election. On the conservative news channels, you would have heard about Mark Zuckerberg, by the way, who put in about $400 million in order to put the... Uh, uh, voting bo bo boxes, uh, drop boxes uh, in these swing states, and he placed them primarily in Democrat areas. In fact, one drop box for every four square miles, but when it came to the Republic areas, it's one for every 1,600 square miles. 
Then, there's good old George Soros, who has funded several, several state attorney generals who support his far-left agenda. In fact, there's one that was out of San Francisco that's now in Los Angeles, and he's even letting murders out. Plus, he's financed several of the Black Lives Matter anarchists. And listen, the more that I learn about this man, the more I marvel about the grace of God. I really do. First, I marvel about the fact that of over 7 billion people that God would stop me and turn my heart to him and save me while others he just passes by. I, that's a staggering thing to me. But secondly, I marvel that God allows a man like George Soros to continue to live and promote the evil he continues to spread so as to destroy people and nations. I marvel about that. At the beginning of our service this morning, we heard the reading of Psalm 73. I can't but think of George Searles and a whole host of other men just like him and people like him when I read in Psalm 73 these words and listen to them again. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there's no pains in their death and their body is fat. Everything goes fine for them. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eyes bulge from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. But now listen to these words of Asaph. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. And listen to this. The moment wicked people like that breathe their last, suddenly the sudden terrors come upon them as they are cast down into Hades. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. But dear ones, these are very troubling times we find ourselves living in. And like you, I pray that and ask God to step into the affairs of mankind and overthrow this evil plot that is presently taking place right now. Having seen and heard the massive amounts of evidence that this election has been stolen, I am utterly dumbfounded. I mean, I am utterly dumbfounded that those who could do something about it choose simply to do nothing and let it happen. This staggers me. Rudy Giuliani and his team have presented the different, to the different state legislatures the wealth of evidence that this election has been stolen. These state legislators, legislatures have the constitutional power invest them to step in and require an honest counting of all the ballots cast, but to date not one of those state legislatures has done so. There are two Republican governors as well as two Republican Secretary of States in two of the contested states who even after hearing all the testimonies confirming the massive fraud refused to call for an audited recount of the ballots that would most likely change the outcome of the electoral votes. Judges 
Judges have refused to act on the evidence. And even the Supreme Court so far has chosen not to act. We now wait to see if the Senate will take any action in the House and stop this great steal on January 6th and when it confirms all those electoral votes. How serious is all of this? I wouldn't bring this message if it wasn't very, very serious. Let Chuck Schumer answer that for you. Here's what he said, Judo Chuck Schumer on national television. Now we take Georgia and then we change America. I hope you're diligently praying for Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue, those two Republicans running for the Senate from the state of Georgia. If they lose to the two leftist Democrats on this January 5th, which is Tuesday runoff election, Chuck Schumer may very well become the majority leader in the Senate, and it will be carte blanche, carte blanche for the extreme left's agenda, and America as we know it will never be the same. I realize that this is not what we call the most encouraging introduction to a sermon, all right? <laughs> but it was important to share that picture with you so that I can prepare you for what I believe God's role for you and me to play in this world system that is presently under Satan's control is. That's why I've entitled my message for such a time as this. I began my message with Haman's plot to destroy all the Jews throughout the Persian Empire. When Satan plays chess with God, remember this, God always knows from the very beginning all the moves. And he always wins. Amen? Even before Haman's wicked, deadly plot God orchestrated all the events that resulted in King Ahasuerus' choosing Esther to become his next queen and wife. God had Mordecai in a position where he heard, overheard Bigthan and Teresh plot to assassinate King Ahasuerus. God saw to it that it was all written down in the books of the Chronicles of the Kings. And then on the very night before Haman was going to come in and ask that he might be able to hang uh, Mordecai, God made sure the king couldn't get to sleep. I imagine if he would have had one of my sermons, he would have got to sleep readily. <laughs> he couldn't sleep. He requested that the book of the Chronicles be read to him. That very night, the king realized it was Mordecai who had saved his life and therefore planned to honor him. So, I love the story. When Haman came in with all his swollen pride, not knowing all of this, the king immediately responds to him. What is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? Haman, thinking to himself, who else could the king want to honor but me? He said, let them bring a royal robe which the king has worn and the horse upon which the king has written, ridden and on whose head a royal crown has been placed and let that robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble princes and let them array that man whom the king desires to honor and lead him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. <laughs> well, you know the rest of the story. King Ahasuerus says to Haman, Take quickly the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who is sitting in the gate, and do not fall short of anything of all that you have said. Checkmate! That's our God. God always wins the chess game despite what the board may look like. 
God allows Satan to make his moves, but God always wins. We don't know what the outcome of this election is going to be. Will Mr. Trump receive four more years, or will Mr. Biden be our president? Will the two conservative Republicans from Georgia win the two Senate seats, or will Chuck Schumer and the radical left take control of this nation at this point? We just don't know. Is this phase three of Romans chapter one where God completely gives this nation over? Possibly. We've certainly seen it coming for a long time, but at this point we don't know. But here's what we do know and what I believe that God wants us to see and grab hold of here, dear ones. In this game of chess, if you please, this game that God always wins, you and I play a major role. That's what I want to get at. Regardless of the outcome, you and I play a major role. In, es- in the Esther account, God's chosen people, known as the Jews, were extremely key in that whole episode, as you know. They were the ones to be exterminated. And then there's Esther, who was elevated to a position of royalty, who was also to play a key role. When it comes to all the people in this world, the scriptures tell us God made an unconditional covenant with the Jew, a covenant God will not break, a covenant God will keep and fulfill. But God also made an unconditional covenant with another group of people. What people group is that? That people group consists of every redeemed person who has placed his or her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to save them. And listen to this. Listen to this. If you are that group, you are royalty. You are royalty. God saved you to become his son's bride, and you will reign with him in his coming kingdom. How important is that? God has great plans for you, and you play a major role in what is right now, right now taking place here on planet Earth. Whether your next president is Joe Biden or Donald Trump, you play a major role. So, what is this role God has designed for you now that you're living in such times as this? There was another man also chosen by God who also lived in such a time as this, in fact, even far worse. You know him well. His name is Daniel. This morning I want to have you learn three essential or cardinal lessons from this godly man, Daniel, who lived in such a time as this. You will notice in your outline there's three major points with only six blanks to fill in. That's just not like me at all. Well, you can write in below those points whatever you would wish to write in there. And you're going to find out that all three main points intrinsically tie together. So let's begin with our first major point. Recognize and respond by diligently praying. Recognize and respond by diligently praying. You will remember that Daniel and his three friends were taken captive away from their beloved country. Their nation had been destroyed. Their capital city, Jerusalem, as well as the temple, were both destroyed and burned by fire. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had 
had a very troubling dream and demanded that his wise men, who supposedly possessed spiritual enlightenment here, reveal both the dream and its meaning to him. When they could not do so, he ordered them all to be rounded up and executed. That was a good move, frankly. But Daniel's three friends happened to be in that group. Listen, suddenly this became a time of extraordinary, diligent praying. This was not your general prayer life we're talking about here. This was serious all night praying, and God answered their diligent praying, revealing to Daniel the king's dream and its meaning, as you recall. We also know that Daniel used the scriptures in his prayer. Turn to Daniel chapter 9, if you would. I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. Daniel 9, in the first year of his reign, meaning Darius the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So he was spending time in God's word, reading the prophet Jeremiah's writings. So, I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Daniel was reading the scriptures when he did that. This is what I call people diligently praying. This is not praying for the different sick folk that you might need to pray for or other such like requests, although these prayer requests have their place. This is praying with diligence, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the kind of praying we're talking about. Listen. Listen. God summons you into the counsel of the Most High. You might want to write that in your notes. God summons you into the counsel of the Most High. What does that mean? It necessitates you come and sit in the presence of God. You humbly confess your sins, all your sins. You repent, you turn from them, because God is going to work and accomplish His will through pure vessels. God does not hear the prayers of the unsaved, unrepentant people. He hears and responds and works through his redeemed people who deal with sin in their lives. It means you will also confess the sins of your nation. Believe me, there's a lot there to confess. In 9 through 14, let me read just verses 5 through 8 of chapter 9. Example this from Daniel. Verse 5, we have sinned committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you, and so forth. God summons you 
into the counsel of the Most High. But secondly, God is pleased when you speak the Scriptures back to Him in prayer. He is pleased when you open the Scripture and you speak it back to Him in prayer. That's what you do uh, in this kind of praying. You sit before the Lord. You open up the Bible and read it and meditate upon it, letting the Holy Spirit, the author of the Scriptures, who also indwells you, speak to your heart. Speak through you as well. And pray it back to the Lord, those Scriptures and what He's placed upon your heart. In my daily Bible reading, I was recently in that book of Esther, and when I came to chapter 3 and read about Haman's plot to destroy the Jews, I prayed that portion back to God, as you can imagine. Oh God, you know there's a plot going on right now to overthrow this nation. You know that. I know we're a wicked nation who has turned away from you. We have murdered millions of precious unborn babies created in your image. We do not deserve any mercy from you, none whatsoever. But oh God, Mr. Trump, though very, very imperfect, has sought to stand up for these precious unborn babies. He has stood up for your chosen people, Israel. I pray you will expose this wicked, evil plot. I pray you will step into the affairs of mankind and cause righteousness to prevail as you did for Mordecai and the Jews. That's what I'm talking about. Just sitting in the presence of God, reading Scripture, meditating on Scripture, praying through that Scripture, praying it back to God as He lays it on your heart. God loves that. God is pleased when you speak the Scriptures back to Him in your prayers. Use Daniel chapter 9 as a good starting place. It's a very good place to start. Don't miss the vital role, though. God intends for you to play for such a time as this. Do not miss that. God summons you into the council of the Most High. Recognize and respond by diligently praying. Would that he had moved on the church to do that. I'm talking about the church universal here. That brings us to our second main point and lesson from Daniel. In your outline, recognize and respond to the great angelic conflict. Recognize and respond to the great angelic conflict. We begin with that word recognize. Yes, there are those who do worship Satan and seek to promote that worship of him, but they are deceived and know nothing of this great angelic conflict. The great masses of people are without hope and without God in this world. They have rejected God as he has revealed himself in the scriptures, and they have replaced him with a God created in their own likeness and image. They are slaves bound in Satan's kingdom of darkness who do the will of their father, the devil. They are pawns in Satan's world system who are completely deceived about what really is going on. But that is not the case with you and me who are God's redeemed, who have turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and placed our faith completely in Him to save us. God, through His indwelling Holy Spirit and through His inspired written Word that we know as the Bible, has opened our eyes to this great angelic conflict that is presently going on. We know that God created all the angels in perfection. 
And we know that one of those highest angels known as Lucifer rebelled against God saying, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the Most High. When that occurred and unrighteousness was found in Lucifer, he and a third of the angels who joined him in his rebellion were cast out of heaven. Lucifer became known as Satan, which means adversary, and as the devil, which means slanderer. And all those angels who followed him are known as demons, fallen angels. When God created man in his image and likeness, Satan shortly thereafter brought about Adam and Eve's fall that resulted in the tearing of God's kingdom, as well as sin and suffering and death that came into this world. That was the beginning of paradise lost, as well as the beginning of the outworking of paradise reclaimed. And through history and through your Bible, you can trace this great angelic conflict that has and is presently taking place. And we are right now caught up in this great war between Satan and God, this great war between God's righteous angels and Satan's fallen angels, this great war between the unredeemed enslaved to Satan and the redeemed who are part of the Lord Jesus Christ's kingdom of light. We're all caught up in it right now. That's what's going on throughout the whole world. I realize that we are people who live and interact with other people. We see people as being either good people or evil people. We weigh people by what they say and by what they do. We weigh people by their actions. But God opens our eyes to that much, much bigger picture. Remember what the Apostle Paul said about this? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's other people. Those evil people and evil women who hate God and who hate us and our righteous standards. No, for our struggle is not with those folk, not flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of weakness, and wickedness in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6.12 Who are these rulers? Who are these forces of darkness? Who are these spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places? Well, let's let Daniel tell us who they are. Turn to Daniel chapter 10. Earlier I told you that these three great truths or cardinal lessons are tied together, intertwined. Here in chapter 10, Daniel has been giving himself to that diligent praying. In this chapter, he gives us insights, though, into this great angelic conflict that we don't find anywhere else in the Bible. Look at verses 10 through 14. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. I said to him, or he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken these words to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. 
Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. Did you get that? Satan knows who you are. He knows who you are and who you are to God. You are the most dangerous, listen, you are the most dangerous threat to his kingdom and his efforts to advance that kingdom. He could care less about the pawns, even those great men and women under his paw who are enslaved to do his will. But you are another story. You, God's redeemed like Daniel, indeed do pose a very serious threat to him when you walk with God and seek to obey him and further his kingdom, especially when you give yourself to diligent praying like Daniel did. But notice too, the great angelic conflict that was going on in Daniel's day and is presently going on in your and my day today. Daniel earnestly prayed and God heard Daniel's diligent praying and dispatched one of his righteous angels to go and give Daniel an answer to his prayer. But Satan sent one of his strong angels who kept God's angel from reaching Daniel with God's answer to Daniel's prayer for 21 days. I'd call that the angelic conflict. Maybe you wonder why God doesn't right away answer your prayers. This may be one of the reasons why. I said, you are a serious threat to Satan and his advancement of his kingdom. So just how important is it that God summons you into the council of the Most High? You also undoubtedly noticed another insight from this chapter about this great angelic conflict. And that's in verse 13. Let me read that again. This righteous angel sent to Daniel to reveal this to him. He said, The prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now drop down to verses 19 through 21. He said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writings of truth, a writing of truth, yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. What do we learn from this? There's a hierarchy among Satan's angels. He has assigned a very high, powerful angel to the kingdom of Persia, as well as to the kingdom of Greece. And guess what? He also has assigned, evidently, a very high angel to the kingdom of the United States. Think about that. We need to remember that presently God is allowing Satan to be the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, and temporarily all these kingdoms of the world have been handed over to him when Adam fell and forfeited his dominion over them. But Satan does not always get to make the move that he has plotted out and planned to make. He doesn't always get to do that, folks. Let me illustrate that. I think he was ready to go in World War II with Adolf Hitler. And God just came in and knocked all the props down. He's always ready to go. Always ready in his plotting. God has designed for you 
to play a most important role in this great angelic conflict. As he used Daniel back in the 6th century, he will now use you and me in the 21st century. Recognize and respond by diligently praying and recognize and respond to this great angelic conflict. And now thirdly, recognize and respond to God's coming kingdom. Recognize and respond to God's coming kingdom. When Jerusalem fell and Judah's king Zedekiah was taken into captivity back to Babylon, the nation of Israel and Judah ceased to be. The times, of the, the times of the Gentiles began. As you know, Daniel was also taken as a captive back to Babylon, where he ended up serving in a very high position under King Nebuchadnezzar as a Babylon, as well as under King Darius of Persia. With Israel and Judah no longer a nation, and the Jews scattered throughout the Gentile nations, was this the end of God's covenant and the nation of Israel? Did Satan win the game? That's right. What, if any, was God's plan for the Jews? Now, I want to restate that. What, if any, was God's plan for the Jews? That's the all-important question God answers in this book of Daniel. That's what he answers. Through that dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had of the great metallic man with its head of gold representing the kingdom of Babylon, its breast and arms of silver representing the next coming kingdom of Medo-Persia, its belly and thigh of bronze representing the coming kingdom of Greece, its legs of iron representing the coming kingdom of Rome, and its feet and toes being a mixture of iron and clay representing the coming kingdom of the Antichrist, God revealed to Daniel the times of the Gentiles, how they're going to run their course when they will rule the world with the Jewish people continuing to be under their domination. But then... But then something dramatically changes all of that. You remember, a stone cut out with a hand strikes that statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushes it. And the whole statue of gold, silver, bronze, iron and clay becomes like chaff and the wind blows it all away so that not a trace of them was found. Then the stone that struck the statue becomes a great mountain that fills the whole earth. Daniel further explains the meaning of this to King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, verse 44. And let me read that to you. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, and that kingdom will not be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Turn with me your Bible to the seventh chapter of Daniel. I'm going to read verses. 7 through 14, but this passage gives us a picture of the events when the Antichrist will reign over this world during the coming seven-year tribulation. Sounds like tomorrow's news to me. Especially the last three and a half years called the Great Tribulation and how it's all going to end. So listen as I read verses 7 through 14 of this text here. And this I kept, after this I kept looking in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying, extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, 
and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like the Son of Man was coming and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed." God is revealing to Daniel what the future is for his chosen people, even while they're under the dominion of the times of the Gentiles and how all that is going to come to an end. So recognize and respond to God's coming kingdom. God revealed to Daniel for the sake of his chosen people Israel that he was not through with them. They may be scattered among the nations, but he will absolutely keep his unconditional covenant with them. They will be regathered. A remnant will make up the nation of Israel that will be born in a day. Their Messiah will return and set up his kingdom, and they will be the premier nation of the world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done done on earth as it is in heaven. Even though these great truths were revealed to Daniel, there was much that he did not understand. In verse 4, he is told, turn if you would over to chapter 12. In verse 4 of chapter 12, he is told to conceal these words and seal up the book until the end, until the end of time. Down in verse 9, the angel tells him, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. But dear ones, that is not the case today. The apostles, and especially the apostle John, have unsealed these words, and we are now in the end time. As the angel said to the Apostle John in Revelation 22.10, after revealing the prophecy of the coming tribulation, the coming of the Son of Man and the end of the world and the new heaven and the new earth and the eternal state, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Recognize and respond to God's coming kingdom. How do we know it's near? How do we know that? 
Remember what the angel said to Daniel back in chapter 12? Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. (laughs) Think about that. We travel now at the speed, supersonic speed around the world. We have gone to the moon and men have walked on the moon. They're now planning trips to Mars. Talk about going back and forth throughout the whole world. And what about knowledge? What about the increase in knowledge? When I was going to seminary, I worked for Continental Airlines. That was a good job. Got to fly around and have a little bit of fun with my studies. But one day, uh, we of the employees went to, took a flight uh, from, with Continental down to Burbank, where their headquarters, to go through their main operations. I remember going into this large room, and there was reel upon reel of computers stacked on top of each other, as far as you could see. That's amazing. I mean, it's staggering to see all that. Well, guess what? You can go on Amazon and purchase a thumb drive USB memory stick that holds over 2 trillion bytes. You know, how many have used Google? Google. Hey, Google. We were talking about the par bar by the whatever. It's there in First Chronicles. We thought, where's that found? Just, hey, Google, where's par bar in your Bible? Don't do that right now. Right away, First Chronicles told you where it's found. Staggering about how knowledge has increased. We right now find ourselves in the middle of a worldwide pandemic that has brought our nation as well as the nations around the world to their knees. We're on the verge of experiencing the destruction of this nation that has been the leading nation of the world. I'm reminded of what the Lord said in Luke 21:28. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is is drawing near. You know what's interesting about that statement? Most of the signs that Jesus mentioned before in that 21st chapter are signs that take place during the tribulation. If you and I are seeing the stage being set today like we're seeing it, and even perhaps the end of our country as we know it, as nation as we know it, how close must we be to this coming of the Lord to take us out of here? Surely, that rapture, that snatching of the church, the redeemed ones out of here before the tribulation take place, must be just around the corner. I think it's the dearest thing on the heart of our Lord and Savior. He wants you, the bride, to be home with Him. I love that verse, and you know I love it. God says, let me just give you an illustration right out the gates of creation. Enoch walked with God, and he was not for, he was taken. Some generation of people, it's guaranteed it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Will God step into the affairs of man and overthrow this plot to steal the presidential election and turn our nation to a socialist nation, destroy a republic and our democracy and end a lot of our freedoms? Will he give us a few more years of freedom? I don't know. I don't know. But this I do know. Whether or not God does act in our behalf, if you are one of His redeemed children, you do play a major role in this worldwide conflict. A role you must absolutely play. Recognize and respond by diligently praying like Mordecai, like Esther, like Daniel. 
recognize and respond to the great angelic conflict. We're not just responding to Democrats versus Republicans. We're talking about the great angelic conflict that's going on that we're a part of. And then recognize and respond to God's coming kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I close with these two prayers. Habakkuk said, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress. For the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And He has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on high places. The Apostle John wrote this at the end of your Bible. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Yes, I am coming quickly. And John prayed, even so, come, Lord Jesus.